Thank y'all so much. Death is defeated. The king is alive. So we've got something to sing about. We've got something to tell about. Amen. I was just seeing if y'all knew how to say amen before we got started this morning. Just a test run there. If you would turn with me to John chapter 1 this morning. Uh, as we look again, continuing in the short series that we're doing, that we're calling Who's Your One? Again, looking at texts that I pray are pushing us to be reminded and to move toward personal evangelism. That we would be reminded that it is the calling of every one of us to tell other people about Jesus. Not just staff members, not just Sunday school teachers, all of us is a calling that the Lord has given to all of us. We saw that again last week. We saw with Peter and James and John as they came to follow Jesus. He told them, if you recognize me, if you give your life and follow me, I will make you fishers of men. That's what's going to flow naturally. You follow me, and then you're going to tell other people about me. This morning, we're going to look in the Gospel of John, and we're going to see, I think, probably one of the first places that that should flow out of our lives. One of the first places that as we become believers and get to the point of telling other people about Jesus, I believe that this is one of the first places that that will happen. In your bulletin, uh, there are points for the sermon this morning. This is the problem with having a publication deadline. Uh, those are some of or part of the points for this morning. It'll be a little bit different. So get that bulletin out, but also get your pen out. This morning, instead of those three points... We're really going to have two main points. I'm going to give you the first of those as we start. The first main point for this morning really flows partially from last week. We should tell people about Jesus. That's a simple part. First part, there's a comma. We should tell people about Jesus, comma, especially those we know personally. Now, that may be a comma splice. I'm not good at that, but just put it there and and write it, and it's okay. But we should, brothers and sisters, we should be telling people about Jesus. And I think we'll see in this text this morning that the first place that should probably start, at least a place that that would naturally occur, will be with people that we know personally. Now, those aren't the only people that we're going to tell about Jesus. I think we're going to see this morning a, a pattern of men that come to know Jesus and then go and tell people that they already have a personal relationship with with about Jesus. Look with me in verse 35 of John chapter 1. It says, The next day again John, this is talking about John the Baptist, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now what we have here, some of you are very familiar with John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, John gives us an introduction to who Jesus is. And he explains Jesus as being the Word incarnate, the one that has lived forever, the one that is, uh, that is one with God, that He is God. And after he's explained this, he shows us John the Baptist, who has been the forerunner of Christ, who has been getting people ready for Christ. And then we see him here, John, giving to us some of the, the introduction of the first disciples to Jesus. And as he's showing us this, it begins here with John the Baptist. John the Baptist has disciples of his own. John the Baptist is a well-respected teacher in his day and time. So John the Baptist has two disciples. He has more than that, but here we see specifically two of them. And his disciples walk around with him and they hear what he says. 
And they've heard him saying things about Jesus like, the one that's coming after me, I'm not worthy to tie the straps of his sandals. Now, when you have somebody that you really respect, your teacher that you really love, that you follow every day, and he tells you that there's somebody that's coming that's so worthy that, that he's not worthy to tie that man's sandals, that is striking to you. They've heard John the Baptist say things like, the one that's coming ranks higher than me because he has existed before me. So they've heard John the Baptist speaking greatly about Jesus over and over and over. So here what we see happening is John the Baptist, who's been teaching his disciples about this Jesus that was coming, this Lamb of God that was coming. Now all of a sudden Jesus walks by and John the Baptist says, in essence, there he is. There's the one that I've been telling you about. In verse 36, in his words, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. The one I've been talking about. The amazing one that's coming. The one that I'm not worthy to tie his sandal straps. There he is right there. That's him. And so what happens, these two disciples who are disciples of John the Baptist, leave John the Baptist and go to follow Jesus. Now why would they do that? Why would they be willing to go and follow Jesus because this introduction was given to them by their teacher. By this man that they walked around with every day. By this man that they trusted. This man that they loved. He has told them to get ready for Jesus. And now he points them to Jesus. And because they've been given this introduction from somebody that they know and love and trust. I believe they're more likely here to follow Jesus. And this isn't follow Jesus, not they follow Jesus in the sense of they became Christians. It just means literally they went and walked with Jesus. They went and followed Jesus. Point one, under point one, however you want to write that. That's confusing. Point A, how about that? Point A under point one, John points his disciples to Jesus. John the Baptist points his disciples to to Jesus. These men that follow him, these men that trust him, these men that respect him so much that as their rabbi, they would have tried to walk like John the Baptist walked. And they would have tried to talk like John the Baptist talked. And they would have tried to sleep and eat. They would try to do everything like their rabbi did, like their teacher did, like John the Baptist did. So when he tells them, listen, there's the one I've been telling you about, they're very likely to go and follow Jesus. And John does that. He doesn't try and hoard these men for himself. He doesn't uh, see Jesus as some sort of person that's a rival to his, but he sees this as his responsibility. These men that are following me, it is my job to point them to Jesus. And that's exactly what he does here. We have a couple of other examples of the same thing. Let's continue in the text in verse 38. It says, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, these are the two disciples of John. He sees them following and he says to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now there's a lot going on here, and John is, is very delicate with us in his gospel. John gives us a lot of these 
explanation points. He puts things in parentheses. Whenever it says rabbi, we're not going to know what that means. So he says that means teacher. And he gives us these things. But what happens here is John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he tells these two disciples. He says, listen, there's the one I've been telling you about. So these two men go and follow Jesus. Jesus sees the two men following and he asks them, in essence, why are you following me? What is it that you're looking for? And when they call him rabbi, when they call him teacher, and they ask him a question, where are you staying? Jesus says, come with me. And they go and they spend time with Jesus. The rest of that evening, the rest of that night, they stay with Jesus and they spend time personally with Jesus. But then what I really want you to see for just a moment, we'll come back to that other. But what I want us to see is verse 41 and 42. One of those two men, one of those two disciples is Andrew. What is the first thing that Andrew does in verse 41? It says, He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Then Jesus has the conversation with Simon where he gives him the name Peter. But here we see again the same pattern. John the Baptist knows Jesus, and those that he has come to know personally, he points them to Jesus. Here we see a man named Andrew. Andrew, one of the disciples, one of the apostles that we come to know well later. Andrew, whenever he is introduced to Jesus, he's introduced to Jesus and he spends some time with Jesus and he becomes convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. And what does he immediately do? He goes and gets his brother and tells his brother, we found the Messiah. He's so excited that he has found the Christ, that he has found the Messiah, that he has found the Savior, that he goes and gets his brother and tells his brother, and then he brings his brother to Jesus. I love that. He goes and gets Peter and brings Peter to Jesus so that Peter can meet Jesus for himself. Don't just take my word for it, Peter. Come and meet this Jesus. Come and meet the one that I'm telling you was the Messiah. Point two this morning, Peter was introduced to Jesus by his brother. I don't know how you're keeping up with the notes, but that's the second one that I want you to see this morning. Peter, now we know Peter, we know Peter, we see him all throughout the gospel accounts. Peter is one of the most, if not the most, well-known and respected of the disciples. And when John is writing this letter to people, what John is showing to them is how Peter first ever became acquainted with Jesus. How is it that Peter first became introduced to Jesus? His brother came and told him. And I know that sounds like a simple thing. It sounds like it's, it's so simple. Brother Zach, why are you spending time preaching about this? Why am I spending time preaching about something that we all know that we should be doing already? Every one of us knows that we should be telling other people about Jesus. Every one of us knows that if we have students that respect us and follow us, that we should be telling them about Jesus. That if we have co-workers that respect us and follow us, that we should be telling them about Jesus. Every one of us knows that if we have siblings, if we have family, that we should be telling them about Jesus. So why am I spending time this morning talking about something that we already know that we should be doing? And I believe the reason is this, because even though we know we should be doing it, many of us aren't doing it. Right? You all know, we all know that we should be doing it, but here the Word isn't just informing us of what we should be doing. I believe it's challenging us to do what we're supposed to be doing. 
God's Word is showing us the importance. It's showing us the impact. What sort of impact did it have that, that Andrew went and found his brother? Well, we know the rest of Peter's story. That sort of impact. What sort of impact did it have that John told his disciples, there is the Lamb of God, there is the Christ? Well, the two men are Andrew, and the other one is believed to be John who wrote this gospel. That sort of impact can come from us telling people that we know about Jesus. So my question for you would be this, do your brothers and sisters know about Jesus? Do you assume that, or have you talked to them about that? Do you know for sure that they do? Do your friends, do your co-workers, do your parents, do your cousins, do your neighbors know about Jesus? Do they have a relationship with Jesus? Do they understand who He truly is? Because if not, I believe that this text today challenges us to be the ones that are going and telling them about Jesus. That we should be having these sort of conversations. Now again, I'm not limiting this at all. I'm not telling you that the only people you should tell about Jesus are your family. You can follow this out. Andrew, he tells his, the first person he tells about Jesus is his brother. But later he brings some Gentiles to see Jesus. One time later he brings the young man that had the fish and loaves. He brings, Andrew's the one that brings that young man to Jesus. So Andrew's not only bringing his brother, but that's the first person. When he found out about Jesus, he couldn't wait to go tell his brother, Simon, man, you've got to come see this guy. This is the Messiah. You have to come meet this Jesus. There are people in your life that trust you. There are people in your life that are willing to listen to you. I pray that you're telling those people about Jesus. I pray that you're telling them what Jesus has done in your life. I pray that you're sharing with them that they hear over and over you talking about how amazing Jesus truly is. I pray that you're doing that, that you're using that influence on them to point them to Jesus. There's one other example that we see as the text continues into the next section. Look with me in John 1, verse 43. I'll read the rest of our text for this morning here. It says, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So here we see another narrative. Here we see uh, another in the same chapter, John continues. And he, so, he shows us how Andrew and John were introduced to Jesus by the one that they followed, John the Baptist. And then he shows us how Peter was introduced to Jesus by his brother Simon. And now we see somebody new, Philip, comes into the story. And Philip follows Jesus. And Philip becomes convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. And then what is the first thing that Philip appears to do in verse 45? Philip found Nathanael. His friend, he goes and finds his friend and says to him, 
We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So again, now I'm not going to belabor the point because I think you see how this works now. But again, we see the same thing. Philip comes to follow Jesus. Philip becomes convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. And what does he do? He goes and gets a personal friend of his, Nathaniel, and says, Nathaniel, the one that we've been waiting for, the one that we've been looking for, we found him. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. That is the Messiah. He's the one that all of the Old Testament points to. Philip goes and gives this personal testimony to his brother, to his friend, not his brother in that sense, but his brother soon in Christ. Now, Nathaniel isn't convinced. And some of you fear this part. Some of you fear verse 46. You're okay with verse 45. You're okay with going and telling somebody about Jesus. You're okay with going and telling somebody that you found Jesus. You're okay with sharing the gospel. What you're afraid of is verse 46 when somebody asks you a question. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Some of you are petrified of that idea. But the last point under this first part is Philip introduced his friend to Jesus. Philip introduced his friend Nathaniel to Jesus. And then I'll give you the second main point, which is going to answer, I pray, the question that you have, the fear that some of you have. The second main point for today is Jesus convinces people to follow him. Jesus is the one that convinces people to follow him. We're going to see it here in just a second about Nathaniel. Nathaniel has questions. He says, Nazareth. This man came from Nazareth, and you want me to believe that he is the Messiah. Nothing good comes from that little town. The way that some of y'all talk about Monticello, I've told you that before. I used to live there, and that's the way that y'all look at it. Nothing good comes out of there. It's how Nathaniel looks at Nazareth, the small little town. Nothing good would come from there. There's no way that the Messiah would have come from Nazareth. But before we even look at Philip and Nathaniel, look back in verse 36. At the account, whenever John points his two disciples, John points them to Christ. John introduces them to Christ, but look in verse 36. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Now there's something that happens between verse 38 and verse 41. In verse 38, Jesus asks Andrew and John, he says, why are you following me? And they refer to him as teacher. They call him teacher, respectful term. They give him a very nice term. They say, teacher, where are you staying? And then they go and they spend that evening with Jesus. Now, I don't know what happens in that evening. It doesn't tell us. You can try and read between the lines, whatever you want to. But I know this. Jesus says, why are y'all coming with me? And they say, teacher, where are you going? We want to spend some time with you. And they go with him, and the next thing that we see them say about him is in verse 41 when Andrew goes to his brother and says, We have found the Messiah. You see, Andrew wasn't convinced that Jesus was the Messiah because of what John the Baptist says. Andrew was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah because he spent time with Jesus. 
John the Baptist did not convince Andrew. John the Baptist did not convince John to follow Jesus in the sense of giving their entire life to Jesus. Jesus is the one that did that. When they spent some time with him, they have an evening with him, and after that evening, they are convinced that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one. Jesus did that. We see the same pattern where we look at Philip and Nathaniel. Look back over at that text. Verse 46. Nathaniel said to Philip, after Philip tells him, Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see. You, you see that there? Now again, there's your answer. Some of you get scared to death that somebody might ask me a question about Jesus. And wherever Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? In essence, in some way, it appears that he's saying, are you sure that you've got that right? And so, Philip doesn't go into some great theological debate with his friend Nathaniel. Philip doesn't try and go into this big, huge explanation. All he says is, you come meet him and you see for yourself. It's the same thing that Jesus said to Andrew and John. He says, why are you following me? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. And here, whenever Nathaniel has questions, Philip just says, come and see. And the same pattern happens in verse 47 following. Nathaniel comes to Jesus, and as he's walking up, Jesus already identifies him. Man, you are a true Israelite. You are an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And Philip says, how do you know who I am? Jesus of Nazareth, I've never met you before. How do you know who I am? And Jesus says, you know what, Nathaniel? I knew you back when you were sitting underneath that fig tree long before Philip even called you. Now listen, I don't know what happened underneath the fig tree. I don't know what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree. But it struck a nerve with him because when Jesus said that, when Jesus says, I know who you were long before you even came here, Nathaniel changes completely. Everything about Nathaniel changes. Verse 49, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. This man who had just doubted, this man who just said, Philip, I don't believe you. Jesus came from Nazareth. There's no way he's the Messiah. He comes to meet Jesus personally. Jesus spends time with him. Jesus says something to him, and Jesus convinces him that Jesus is the Christ. Everything changed when Nathaniel met Jesus. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And I pray that this is encouraging to you. Because some of you are afraid to tell people about Jesus because you think that if you tell somebody about Jesus that you have to convince that person to follow Jesus. But the truth is, you can't convince anybody to follow Jesus. Now, for some of you, that sounds like good news, and for some of you, that sounds like bad news, but the truth of the Scriptures is you can't convince somebody to follow Jesus. Their heart has to be changed. The Holy Spirit has to be the one that convicts them that they are sinners that are lost. John chapter 16, verse 8 makes that clear, that when the Holy, Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of sin. You can't make somebody believe that they're a sinner. You can't make somebody believe that they are lost and dying and going to hell if they don't want to believe it. You, can't, you can have all the debates you want with them. What you are to do is to tell people the gospel. 
to introduce them to the Christ. Tell them who Jesus is. But you can't convince them on your own to be saved. Now, I know that sounds peculiar. I know that that is something that that we may not like the sound of because we like the idea that we could convince people to be saved. But, brothers and sisters, what I'm telling you is this. You're not the great physician. Right? People that are lost are dead. They have dead hearts. You cannot revive them. You can bring them to the one that can. You can tell them about Jesus. But unless they personally meet Jesus and believe that He is the Messiah and have faith in Him, they are not going to be saved. You can tell them all those things, but you cannot make them be saved. If you could... There wouldn't be a single Christian in the world that had kids who were not Christians. It would never happen. Because every mom and every dad that's a Christian would have convinced their children to be Christian. If you could make somebody be a Christian, every Christian family would have children that were devout believers of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham was once asked about this. I saw it. I'll send you the link if you would like it. Billy Graham, somebody wrote a question in, and he posted, they posted it on the website, on Billy Graham's website. He said, my neighbor, a lady, is lost. What can I do to convince her to be saved? This is what Billy Graham said. No matter how hard we try or how many arguments we present, ultimately only God can persuade a person that the gospel is true. Jesus said... No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. That's John six forty four. Billy Graham continued, This is why the most important thing you can do for your neighbor is to pray for her. Brothers and sisters, this morning, I pray that we see the importance of telling people about Jesus, but I also pray that we see the importance of praying for lost people. That's why I've asked you with this this push that we're doing, this who's your one, that you would have one specific person that you believe is lost, a friend, a family member, a coworker, that you would have somebody that that you believe to be lost, and every single day you would pray for them. You would look for opportunities to introduce them to Jesus. You would look for opportunities to share with them the gospel. But you would also pray for them every single day because we can tell people about Jesus. We can share the gospel. We can quote scriptures. We can do all of these things, but when it comes to taking a dead person and making them come back to life, that's not us. We cannot do that on our own. That has to be the work of God. And so we tell people, and then we pray, and then we pray, and then we pray. Here in this text, we see these people telling their folks about Jesus, their followers, their friends, their family about Jesus. I ask you this question, do your folks know about Jesus? Do your people know about Do your roommates, do your co-workers, do your friends know about Jesus? If you've told them about Jesus, if they've heard you share the gospel, have you prayed for them? Have you prayed that their heart would be the good soil, that whenever that seed of the gospel is planted, right, the parable of the sower, have you prayed that their heart would be good soil so that when they hear the gospel, that they would accept it as true and that they would bear great fruit? Have you prayed that for them? Have you prayed for your lost neighbor? That not only would they hear the gospel, that they would receive the gospel and that God would help them to be convinced 
that he is the only way that they could ever be saved and that they do need to be saved because there are a lot of people around you that don't even think that they need to be saved. They don't think they're dead. They don't think they're sinners. They don't think they're lost. Brothers and sisters, you have to be convinced of all these things in order to be saved. So I ask you that this morning. Do your people know? I also ask you this morning, if you're here and you're lost, you're here and you don't know Jesus personally, I pray this morning that you saw in this text. Did you see, I asked, did you see in this text who he is? He meets Peter and he speaks of who Peter is going to be in the future. He already knows who Peter is going to be. That's why he gives him the name Peter Rock. It's a prophecy about who he's going to become. Do you see that when he met Nathaniel that he knew who Nathaniel used to be? He knows you. He knows what you did yesterday. He knows what you did last month. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow, and He still wants you. That's the amazing thing to me, is that He knows what I've done, He knows who I've been, and He still invites me to be His child. This morning, if you're here and you don't know Christ, do you see that this man is the way to heaven, that He is the way to have eternal life? I pray that you do. If you do, I pray that you come and let me talk to you about how, what the next step is in coming to be a believer and a disciple of His. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning we're going to have a time of invitation. Maybe during this time of invitation you need to pray and repent because you know that you haven't been telling people about Jesus. Maybe this morning you need to pray because the Lord has laid on your heart a lost person in your life and you just need to pray for that person. Pray that when they do hear the gospel, that when you finally do share with them, that they would hear it and that they would accept it and that the Lord would convince them that they have a need for Him. Maybe this morning you need to come and pray that He would forgive you of your sins and accept you as his child. I don't know what you need to do. I pray this morning that you would be challenged by God's word and that you'd respond accordingly. That you can pray where you are. You can pray at these altars. You can come and I will pray with you. If you have questions, I'll answer those questions. I want to invite you to do what the Lord leads you to as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of invitation.